Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Eating Crow podcast. My new guest, Bob Stapleton, who I'm excited to have on the show. I've been on Bob's podcast, right? That's what we actually call it, a Bobcast. That's exactly what uh, we call it. I love that. I wish I could call it a Petecast, but somebody's probably already taken that. Uh, So Bob and I have known each other for a couple of years now and have an honor and a privilege to do some volunteer work that uh, Bob does far more work than I do. We'll talk about that on the podcast as well, but Bob, Welcome. Uh, why don't you share a little bit what you're doing today uh, at Live Oak, and then uh, I'm going to dig into your background, and we're going to get uh, we're going to get hungry and eat some eat some crow. So I'll, I'll kind of contrast. So, so first, thanks for having me. And if I were to contrast 2019 uh, with 2020, and mm-hmm. particularly how COVID's impacted uh, Live Oak leadership, uh, my practice is basically me, and I, I literally have my practice in two buckets. Uh, I coach leaders. Uh, and I do some life coaching, but pr- particularly focusing on leaders and helping them uh, attain what they want. And then the second is uh, HR consulting, uh, primarily in organizational effectiveness. Uh, I'm more of the soft side of HR versus what I call the more transactional. Sure. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, uh, what my business has been, okay. past tense. Uh, with, with the uh, pandemic, uh, it's really been great. My workload in terms of uh, clients is half, and I've been able to do things like this. Meet with you, do my own podcast. Uh, I'm doing a, what's called a Bob and Joyce. Bob and Joyce. It's ODHR uh, successes and failures. Um, I'm uh, uh, writing a book that's about halfway done, uh, and so it's it's been more about kind of stepping back and and. Uh, and kind of taking a different route to, to doing what I do. We could spend uh, hours on lessons learned, which is kind of the premise, by the way, of both of our podcasts, right? Um, eating crow means you, you had to rethink your position, potentially on some new information or somebody else's opinion. And certainly 2020 has changed the way we look at everything. And the fact that you're, the number of clients you're dealing with is smaller, but the magnitude of the work is much bigger. Oh, without a doubt. Without and a doubt. You mentioned the soft side of HR, and that's it's kind of a misnomer, right? It is the non-transactional side, but I also believe it has the biggest impact. The transactional uh, stuff doesn't resonate, but what you're doing, particularly today, and we'll even banter back and forth on some of the challenges that I'm facing in my day job with our organization from a culture perspective, kind of, you know, when you think about your customers that have approached you. What's the first thing out of their mouth, Bob, when they said, Bob, we need help? What are they asking for? You know, it's interesting. Um, it, it typically is a problem within their organization. Okay. Uh, and so they'll say, you know, we, we've done an, uh, a, a client survey uh, of our employees and their satisfaction levels. And for the third year in a row, uh, we're kind of in the cellar. 
So they'll, they'll come to me with a dilemma that they've kind of thrown a lot at it to try to solve it. And I think when they kind of just raise their hand and say, look, let's, let's kind of bring a person in to, to kind of give a different perspective and perhaps bring some new ideas. Is it, uh, is it human resources that's approaching you or is it, is it someone in the C-suite, the C, I mean, what kind of visibility do they have for this, the C-suite of this problem? Well, what's interesting, it's typically HR that's mm -hmm. the first contact, uh, you know, and, and the way that it typically works is the CEO or the executive committee turns to HR at the table and says, we've got a problem, you know, go find someone to fix it. Sure. Uh, and so the first contact will be uh, typically an HR professional. But ultimately, if I think about who my customer is, uh, it's, it's probably as much the CEO or the president uh, as it is uh, HR. So when you think about the reasons customers normally would approach you, and by the way, it can be all over the map, depending on the type of company, the number of employees, the culture, et cetera. When you think about March 15th, 2020, how did that conversation change? <laughs> well, you know, so if I think about what the pandemic has done to all of us, um, you know, if you think about uh, learning uh, and whether it's a skill or whether it's your leadership or whether it's uh, your organization and how you want to grow it, there's, uh, you, uh, you're probably familiar with what they call the S-curve uh, sure. of learning. And that's where you start out and you're kind of uh, failing and struggling and learning, and, but you're, you're seeing a little bit of progress. And then like the S-goes, all of a sudden, you see that sharp spike where you're getting some proficiency. And then, you know, you kind of flatten out again as you become uh, a master of what you do. March 15th put us all right back to the bottom of the S-curve. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if I think about the change in conversation, it's like, as I look at my people, as I look at how I looked at HR in the past, as I looked at our policies, something as basic as sick policy or leave policy, it's like everyone was thrown back to the, you know, the, the, the bottom of the S-curve to figure out how do we do this? Right. Uh, and oh, by the way, as they're asking me that question, I'm looking in the mirror and asking myself that question. There's no playbook. There's well, just no you know, playbook. I, it's funny, I, I really, and I won't go into the specifics, but I got into a huge disagreement with a group that I was a part of the leadership. And it, it dealt with the pandemic. And at the time, we didn't know so much. And we had to make decisions about whether to open, whether to go remote, yeah. uh, whether to cut back our hours. And the, the, the argument went something like this. Uh, we're going to make our decisions on the best information that we have. And I'd say, that's not good enough. And they're like, well, what, what do you mean? We're, that's how we do it. We, make, we take a look at what we know and what we learn and we make decisions. I said, uh, I think this is a little bit different. I think we have to make decisions, yes, based on the best information and what we know, but I think we also have to weigh in what we don't know. You know ah. the factor. And, and that was, uh, I got kind of some blank stares, but I think ultimately, uh, I, the argument prevailed. I mean, I was ready to eat crow because that, that sounds kind of really counterintuitive, making decisions on the unknown. Uh, um, so, Well, you know, you, you bring up a really valid point, and I think we're still struggling with the communication protocol here, right? Because we try to do the same thing. We try to make, make decisions based on the information we have, but my past probably because of the scars rather than the successes, 
tells me we need to be very honest with our employees about what we don't know. Right. So to your, to your point, here's the plan as it stands today, but we don't know what's going to happen in 30, 60, 90 days. So be prepared that that plan could change. And that makes some people so uncomfortable. They're worried. And I, I believe again, back to rethinking the way we've always done things and, and approaching things with an open mind. It, we have to change both as an employee and an employer, what our expectations are for open communications. For example, we get worried, and you've seen this in HR, we get worried that if we say something, we set our strategic plan in January and then we change it, we're worried the employees are gonna be upset with us for changing it. Well, yeah. now there is a difference between, you know, whipsawing back and forth and just having no strategy. But if you have new information that you didn't have 90 days ago that warrants a change in the strategy, share that with them and make the change. Absolutely. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a communication expert, mm -hmm. uh, but I think I bring kind of a perspective uh, that I work pretty closely in organizations with our head of communication. And uh, as you use the word open communication, I think when there's a lot of unknown looking to the horizon yeah. or there are factors outside of your control as a company, the tendency is for leadership to go mute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Better to say nothing than be wrong, okay? Big mistake. And I feel that is a flawed strategy. One, treat your people like the adults that they are. They live complex lives and they deal with difficult situations yes. and tough communications all the time. And they know what? They know that the world shifts. So there's a phrase that I've gotten used to sharing with others when you're in, whether it's a pandemic or something's happening in your organization with a lot of variables that you don't control. You basically say, I'm gonna tell you what I know today based on the best information that's available to sure. me. Sure, sure. And it well, became. It, it, when you mentioned your previous company, we talked about getting them to think about the things that they don't understand. How did they go from there? What was the, what was the take? Uh, well, it, it, it dealt with COVID mm -hmm. and uh, it dealt with uh, whether to follow uh, the government's uh, lead, whether it be local or federal. And I think the tendency was to lean uh, on whatever the authorities uh, said. And, um, you know, I, I said, that's not good enough. And then I think to answer your question, the consequences of being wrong literally could put the organization at risk, like literally bring it to its knees. Yep. Uh, and I think that was what kind of got people thinking differently. So what if, what if we are wrong yeah. and go south and many of our employees and associates and customers uh, contract the disease because of our decisions? Uh, in an industry, oh, by the way, where the trust that you get from your customer, which I don't think is that unique, but to break that trust, whether it be with your employees or with your customers or with your vendors, right. how to come back from that. Have you had to deal with any organizations that have had to make substantial cutbacks due to COVID, either financially by letting people go or reduce salaries? How are you helping them navigate the cultural impact of that? You mentioned these are people, right? They're human. So there's there's the black and white income statement balance sheet discussion that the leadership team has. And again, there's unknown that you, 
you, you got the PPP loans coming in that has bridged some organizations from point A to point B, but you still, by the way, no one thought or talked about that at the end of the summer of 2020, we'd be still where we are today. People oh, yeah. were thinking we'd get through the summer, it would die, and then we'd be off and running. Well, certainly that's not the case. When you're helping a leadership team come up with that plan to make the financial restructuring, deliver the plan to the employees, and then manage the, the aftermath, what are the thoughts you're giving them in all three of those phases? Okay. Um, so if, and it's interesting because I'm working with one client and I don't think this is totally unusual. They had already had anticipated uh, a reduction in their workforce. Okay. And then COVID struck and really disrupted their business model. And, uh, you know, they used me like, so what do we do? I mean, uh, we've got literally uh, a lot of changing uh, moving parts here. And uh, I said, or suggested, you know, do what you would normally do consistent with your culture, uh, consistent with your history or of who you want to be going forward. Uh, and, you know, so to delay uh, the reduction in force, well, it may feel good uh, in, in these tough times. It may put the mission at risk. Sure. Uh, and, and I mean, the, the outcome, so I can't really look at uh, you know, how the results were in terms of putting the culture back together. But what I do know is uh, when the announcement came down with the reduction in force, and oh, by the way, we had COVID uh, contraction of the business, um, uh, you know, I really leaned into two words uh, with the leadership, honest communication and strong connections. And, and that's, you know, the, the, so the honest communication we've kind of already talked about, you know, yeah, be yeah. open, tell what you know, if you don't know, the connection. And once again, I think the natural tendency when delivering bad news, uh, when doing something that feels a little bit inconsistent with your culture and who you want to be going forward, our tendency as leaders is to kind of contract. Uh, maybe it's shame, maybe it's not wanting to face up to it, uh, not wanting to hear uh, uh, the, the, what people may see and think. And I think the opposite is what you should do, both as a leadership team. As a leadership team, you better get connected on where you want to go and how you want to be through this. Uh, so you have to have your act together, but ultimately you have to put a plan in place, processes that literally open up lines of communication, ways of talking, sure. ways to get the feedback loop going uh, in a way that it's not going to be perfect. Uh, and your culture may take a couple hits, but uh, I think if people look back and say, I don't like what happened, uh, I don't like the people that had to leave, but I think the company uh, did it right, as right as you can get it. Yeah, you make a good point. It's not going to be perfect. No. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we, when you talk about connections, this is what this is what I was thinking when you were speaking of, of connections. I've uh, I've learned through some some hard lessons of not doing it right. Uh, some things that have helped me communicate bad news to employees, particularly ones that are leaving as well as the ones that are staying. Because there's that, why not me? Why wasn't it me? You know, I missed that person attitude. And uh, it is to be extremely upfront and open about the bad news. Absolutely. Acknowledge it, talk about it, chew on it. 
Uh, I had a tendency in early in my career that even I was presenting bad news, I was putting my sales spin on it. <laughs> and it was a big pile of crap on the table. I was making it smell like roses. And somebody gave me some good feedback and said, Pete, this is the time to talk about the crap. <laughs> You know, we don't, we don't need to go on to the solution right now. We need to digest this first. And I was already moving on to this is how we're going to solve the problem. And they wanted to digest it and understand it more. So I've learned that, especially in a human to human connection, uh, I I'm an overly compassionate person to begin with, which is probably one of the uh, weakness is not the right term. One of the traits that I have that I got to be wary in a leadership position. Sometimes I tend to default to the, the compassionate side of the decision-making process, not necessarily the right way to make the decision. Yep. So I've also discovered that most employees are incredibly thoughtful people if you give them the opportunity to be and treat them like an adult. To your point, when you go silent because you're afraid of what they're going to think, they start to speculate and spin. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It, right? Literally. And quite honestly, if you think they're going to go to the worst case scenario, which they do, terrifying exaggeration, uh, that's where most will go. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll do this quickly. I'll tell you where I, you know, I've done it wrong a lot of times. I've eaten crow. I have, I have botched some communications, particularly uh, both one-on-one -on -one and in groups. So I've, I've made all the mistakes. I'll tell you where I, I really feel good about doing it right. Uh, I, when I was at Foodline, and this is all public information, we merged three U.S. companies into one company in terms of not the banner on the front of the store, but we consolidated all the back office operations. Okay. So that meant two accounting departments were being dissolved, yep. two HR departments, two IT. So you get it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like hitting a switch we had to keep systems and people in place until we could harmonize systems. So essentially our plan was to tell people, and I'll just make this up, January 1, right. you're losing your job. We're dismantling your HR department or your accounting department, and we need you to stay for the next eight months. Well, I'll tell you, most of our leadership said that'll never happen. Right. Will never happen. Now, I was in charge of kind of the HR transitional part of that, and uh, I think not only in terms of the incentives that we gave financially, which I think were good uh, and important, but they weren't the most important thing. Sure. I think the key was we treated those people with dignity, respect. We gave them encouragement to get developmental opportunities to either stay with the company, go to school to get a better opportunity after they left. Uh, and, and one of my jobs was to meet with these groups. And I was going to Florida, Maine, here in North Carolina every other week to meet with this group to get a sense of where they're, they were bumping up with issues, where they needed help and support. And I'm going to say that we retained, I'm going to say that we retained about 85% of those people that were going to be impacted through the transition period. That's and wonderful. if you think about Turnover. You're going to turn over 15 as it is. So I think it reinforces what you said, but it's one where high connection, uh, high empathy, uh, and also giving them real developmental opportunities. Well, in, in that situation, it's not a reflection of their performance. No, no. it's a business transaction. 
And if you treat them like an adult, they will understand the business transaction side of things. They'll also appreciate if they're, if it's done right, an eight month runway, they've got a job to do. And then if you communicate with them during that period of time, they have a sense of dignity. So they're going to want to be there with you, which is challenging. But yeah, I, I think there are so many lessons where it's great to see when that was done right yeah. versus lessons where they're not done right. And when we forget that we're dealing with human beings, that's the challenge. So I have seen terminations handled properly. And I've always been a firm believer that any termination is done with someone from human resources in the room because they're the pros. We're not right. We're, we're, yeah. We have to have that done, and the coaching is very, very valuable. So, um, the the VPs of HR I've worked with in my previous organizations are, are very close allies, right? I rely on their their input because they're very they tend to be very objective, and I'm amazed at times at how they don't always take the compassion employee side of things. They take the practical, right, objective side of things, but then they handle it with compassion. That's a very different. It's a nuanced approach. So I, I had to let two salespeople go in an organization and I had hired these people. They then reported to somebody different who was not comfortable with making the termination. I said, look, I hired them. I'll handle it. He sat in the room with me and both people got up and hugged me when they left the room. And he said, I've never, ever seen anything like that before. I said, you know, we came to a realization that the job they were in was not the right job for either one of us. And I helped them make that conclusion because they really wanted it to be. They wanted to be at our company. They believed in what we were doing, but it wasn't the right fit. And it, and it was for different reasons, right? These are two very talented people in the right role. And he just wanted to fire for performance. And I said, they're going to walk out of this room without a job. They're going to go home to their spouse and their children without a job. That is a mag- mag- it's a huge impact on their life, their well-being, their self-esteem. And if you can sleep not knowing that 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 impact was felt, you have to just, I, and by the way, you got to do your job, right? If I, if I let the emotional side of things affect all my decisions, I'd never get anything done. But it doesn't hurt to be aware and to acknowledge the difficulty and the compassion of the discussion. Uh, and I think that that is so important. It's, it's emotional intelligence. We talk about it a lot now. It is a very difficult skill to coach. You, you, you do it every day, right? And it's when you're dealing with senior leadership at a high level in organizations, Bob, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And when you walk into a room of leaders and you've been introduced as their, whether it's a life coach or a performance coach or a coach to help them through a difficult transition, can you pick the people out in the first interaction where you know, uh-oh, this is going to be tough? Oh gosh, oh absolutely. I um, I, probably the toughest situation. Um, you know, I, I think whether it's terminating one person or the two people that you talked about, or a department like I described, um, the key. And we talked about connection and uh, human dignity. I think more often than not, uh, I walk into that room. And it's, it's a kind of a sanitized conversation, sure. you know, and I think it's, it's kind of the, 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 you know, leading with your head. So we're closing the plan or this person's not performing uh, or the business model change. And so it's kind of a very cut and dry, um, you know, uh, and I'm in there to help them with the transition. And 
when I know it's going to be tough is when they fail to see the person. It is. So, uh, you know, I ask the question, so do they have any idea that this is coming? Uh, or uh, have you given some thought to some transition support? Um, you know, or have you thought about their, uh, uh, their teammates? And so when I, I see them uh, almost totally ignoring the, the human impact, um, that's when I know th this is going to be tough. And, many, and, and it's happened. How many, and I, how many people, Bob, when you get to that point? Because I'm a, I'm a it, it's funny. I'm a big believer in giving someone the coaching that they need to coach them up, right? Sometimes I'll inherit a, a staff member at any level that people have already written off and they're giving it to me to solve the problem, which means they want me to let them go. It's happened a lot. Yeah. I have made it a personal decision. Anybody comes on my team comes with a clean slate. I'm not gonna judge them based on somebody else's opinion because oftentimes I differ in how they're setting the bar or managing that person. There may be times where it's not necessarily to, to put them out of the business, put them in a different place in the business. Sometimes they, they, it's clear they need to go. But how often do you see, I, I think one of the things that I am surprised by is, and by the way, pleasantly, is when we give someone coaching and they respond. Right. I ask, I, I tell people, oh, you're going to put them on a PIP or performance improvement plan. By the way, I know why you're doing that. And that's to cover your ass. Yeah. They're, and by the way, procedurally accurate, you need to document that person was given the feedback they needed to get, given an appropriate amount of time to address the feedback and improve. But here's the second question I asked them. So you're putting them on a PIP. First of all, I want to know why. That's the first question. What have they done or not done? Can you articulate it? It can't be, well, I get this feeling or so-and-so said, I want to see the documentation that says this is warranted and that they've had numerous coaching sessions that can be somewhat verbal, anecdotal, but always should be documented, right? A PIP should be after, after this person has been given coaching. And that's a difficult thing for people to understand. You can't just walk up one day and say, you haven't been doing your job. And they go, I had no idea I wasn't doing my job. So to me, there's got to be a period of time where you're saying, here's the things we need to work on. And then if they don't do that, then you can say, look, these are the things you haven't done them. Here's what we're going to do. Then my second question is, are you prepared for them to succeed? Because <laughs> they, and they don't know how, what do you mean? I said, because what if they succeed? Because if this is just a step in the process to get rid of them, let's have that conversation. But what if they succeed? Because you may be already making decisions with that headcount or something else down the road, but I have seen people succeed in this role that are ultimately surprising. Yeah, as, as someone who's spent most of his career in HR, there are two things that I would literally get rid of, eradicate, uh, drastically change. Uh, the first is the PIP process. Interesting. Uh, let's, let's just be transparent. In 99% of the companies, it's just a legal uh, justification to have all your ducks in a row. Yep. Uh, and I'm not saying it that some companies don't have the right intention, but when you're sitting across the desk from a piece of paper with your name at the top, uh, and you're like you said, you're hearing it for the first time, you're not being coached, you're not being supported. Not at all. You're being put on notice. So if I had my druthers and I have ideas about how I would do it differently, and you suggested one, uh, I would get rid of that. The, the second, uh, and we could spend a whole show on this, 
I have spent my entire career designing, developing, and implementing uh, people planning systems, succession planning systems, uh, high potential town planning systems. And I'll tell you right now, they've all been crap. Looking really? back. Really? Uh, well, you, I was you, just you, about to hire you. <laughs> no, no, let me, oh. so, you know. That's the best sales pitch I've ever seen, Bob. I have the greatest, I've spent years developing this solution and it sucks. You know what? No one ever listened their way out of a job. That was, by the way, that's fantastic. That's the best plate of crow I've had at a podcast. Well done. <laughs> but, but let me make my point. And you actually made it for me. Sure. The whole notion of what are you ready to face the fact that this person may be successful? Mm -hmm. And you also said, how many times have you brought someone in that you were uh, kind of coaching because you're the guy that can kind of take them out of the organization gracefully sure. only to find out that they come under you or work for you, not that mm -hmm. term. And all of a sudden they flourish right. and they blossom. Yeah. And when I say I get rid of every town planning process I ever uh, made, it's amazing how we mistake that process. It is a point in time. Yes, it is. It's where you are in terms of the S-curve. You know, we we're just talking about that. It's a point in time. And the mistake that I made and organizations made, they put that label on someone, high potential, okay? Uh, and it lives with them. And, uh, you know, when you see the time of 5, 10, 15 years, I've learned that those people that we saw as non-promotable are now running the company. Yeah. How, how the heck does that happen? Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of what I meant by it. Well, and if you're labeled a, a non-hypo, uh, it's, how, it, it's even worse. It is, it's true. And in, in some of my other uh, discussions with employers, employees, and peers, I talk about as a father, I have three, three kids. The difference in those three kids and how I need to communicate is drastic. Like you said, if I developed a child rearing plan, before I had children, and, and I kind of thought I had one in my head, by the way, <laughs> I realized quickly it was garbage. Because it, there were there were there were very specific points in time with all three of my children where I, I literally walked out of the room and said to my wife, I just completely screwed that up. That, that I can't reach, I can't reach them the way I was just trying to reach them. They they're not processing it the right, and it's not their fault, it's mine. This is a, a 10, 13, 14, 15 year old kid. I'm a seasoned adult, so to speak. How do I expect them to adjust their communication style to me? So, and, and it, there have been marked moments where I've literally, you know, I, I talked about this in the description of why I started the podcast, where I had to flip my entire thought process on its head and recognize I'm just wrong. It doesn't mean I want to change the the guardrails of where my boundaries of morals and ethics and how I want them to behave are. It has to change the way I communicate and motivate them to achieve those goals. So when you translate that as an employer, much bigger group of people, right? Much more diverse group of people who, by the way, I have not raised. <laughs> so their beliefs, their values, their examples of right, wrong, work ethic, anything are not from me. They're from someone else. So they come to the table with a very different set of 
thoughts and emotions and ideas of right or wrong. It's hard to break through that. So you can fight it and say, it's my way or the highway. We're going to do it my way. And again, we might be objectively correct. This is the company's objectives. But if you can't lead your people to achieve those objectives, you failed. Whether you're right, like I said, I've been right and I've been wrong. Where I wanted to go was right. Leading those people there was completely wrong because I didn't understand Joan needs to be communicated with this way. And I'm not talking about being soft. Like you said, this isn't being soft. It's just recognizing that's not going to work, right? And Bill needs to communicate it this way and Jeffrey this way and Joey this way because Joey might be a 23-year-old college graduate and Bill might be a 45-year-old seasoned executive. How do I expect the communication protocols to work for them equally? Yeah, you know, um, listening to you, I, I think about um, uh, in coaching, uh, a key aspect of coaching is listening to people deeply uh, to, to not hear the words, but hear the thinking behind the words, uh, yes. your perspective. And if I were to apply it, whether it's raising children and all the screw ups that you have mm -hmm. or dealing with a very diverse workforce, um, I think that people see, kids see their parents, uh, their teachers' perspective pretty quick. And uh, there may be a continuum, so I'm going to simplify for this conversation. Um, you know, I think that leaders, managers, parents look at their kids, their employees, and their perspective is they're a problem to be solved. Right. That's the PIP. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or if only I could get machines to take the place of these people, or why do people call them sick? You, you know, you, you hear. And, and the other perspective is they're the solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're not only a solution to their problem, they're a solution to the company's problem. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've lived my life on both sides. And early in my career, you know, these people don't show up. They, you know, they, they don't take care of the customer. So it was a, kind of a problem to be solved. And I had to flip that. And I, I think that the power of that is when people, whether it's their boss or their parent, when they see you, seeing them as being empowered to solve not only their own challenges, but also the challenges of the company, I think the light goes off. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing that we as leaders need to be comfortable with is those people will make mistakes just like we do. Yes. If you empower them to make a decision, you have to be prepared for that decision sometimes not to be correct. And That's tough. It, 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 is, it is very tough. But if you take it as a, as to, your, to a coaching moment, right? How did you make that decision? What, were your, what was your thought process? And then you come back with, I understand what you were thinking there. Here are some things you potentially could think of the next time you're faced with that decision and I'll support you, right? That, that person feels, because the last thing you want to do is, is for people to stop making decisions or wait for you to make the decision because then you grind the company to a halt. If, yeah, if you're running yeah. a lean organization, everyone has to have the power to make the appropriate decisions knowing every once in a while they're going to get one wrong. Yeah, you know, when, when uh, people in organizations aren't allowed to fail or better put, uh, aren't encouraged to fail, mm -hmm. uh, a part of who they are stays in their car when they come in to work in the morning. Yes, it does. Uh, and if, if I live in fear that I'm going to screw up versus the fact that I'm going to learn 
uh, through not necessarily getting it right. And, you know, God forbid, I don't know how many times I had my way of how it should go or what we sh I see as the solution, only to give up uh, my control and have either an individual or my team come up with something that is far superior to anything I could have thought of. Sure. When you think, Bob, and we'll, and we'll wrap up with, with this thought here, because I think it's, we want to leave the audience with, by the way, you've given us a lot of really good tangible ideas of successes and failures and challenges. It's been helpful. Um, I'm looking at the conversation we're having over Zoom, right? And, and one of the classes we were teaching at, at this uh, really excellent um, volunteer organization was in person for two years. And in fact, in person for the first half of the class. And then overnight, we had to get all these people on Zoom calls, right? Now we knew them, we got a chance to interact with them in, in person. So that was probably an easier way to transition into a, a world like this. But I'm thinking about organizations hiring people in this environment right? Mm -hmm. Where you don't have the opportunity to insert them into a culture or physically meet someone, particularly if they work remotely, there's no onboarding process at headquarters where I can place a name with a face. What suggestions you have, maybe a couple quick ideas of how you could address that, that would, that would pull some of that culture forward in, in a really in a two-way conversation. So people can learn about that employee as well as they can learn about that company. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, what comes quickest to mind is, first of all, we're, we're all getting pretty good at this, meaning this, this uh, forum and Zoom. Uh, I, I think I would encourage companies not to see this as a limitation, uh, but see this as an opportunity to do what you've done in the past and even do it better. Okay. Now, I, 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 there may be some areas where hands-on kind of training, you have to be there and do it. But I can't think of many things that can't be discussed, whether it be the culture, whether it be uh, how to hire uh, team meetings. Uh, you know, if you see this uh, format as something that it enables the business, uh, as opposed to something that's somewhat of a restriction, I think that you can get real creative uh, in that space. Um, and it's odd, and, and maybe this doesn't connect with the audience, uh, I started coaching 10 years ago and I am, I want to be uh, in front of someone. I want to uh, see them and really feel their whole geography. And if someone had told me that five years into it, I could have as good a connection talking over a phone to someone in Brussels mm -hmm. and have never met them, I would say that they were crazy. Sure. And so I, I think using that kind of analogy, there are ways that we can use this and get creative about this uh, in a way that uh, we haven't even imagined at this point. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I watch how our company interacts over Zoom and, and Hangouts calls today versus five months ago. Uh, it's remarkable. Uh, everyone's much more comfortable. Um, they're, they're, able to speak their minds. People have learned an unconscious cadence about letting other people speak and understanding when to jump in. In the beginning, that was tough. Yep. You know, some people were talking, and by the way, the technology has gotten better. The technology helps us understand who's speaking and then to see the face when there's going to be a pause. And, and I think when you're on the phone, it's harder. A conference call was always more difficult. Who's going to speak up on a visual call? I can go, all right, Bob looks like he's finished talking. I'll jump in. We've actually, and I do it every once in a while when we have our leadership teams, there's six or seven of us in the room, I'll raise my hand. 
mocking hilariously, like, cause I'm the talkative guy, but I'll, I'll wait. And they're, they, when I'm quiet, they get concerned. <laughs> what, 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 what are you thinking, Pete? And I'm like, I'm just waiting for everybody to finish. Then I'll raise my hand. So uh, I, I, I appreciate the, the thought process there. And you're right. We, it, this is a new normal. In, in, in our, our go forward working environment, this will not go away. There will be a combination of people working at home, people working in an office. I intentionally, before this happened, would take one day at least every two weeks and work from home just to get some things done. Yeah. Right now it's more difficult. My calendar's full of virtual meetings all day long, but there are times I have to block my calendar just so I can sit and focus. Um, you know, Bob, when you, when you think of culture and this is the last thought of the call how do you how do you define a culture in two dimensions right when, when yeah. we're not physically meeting how do you how do you pull the culture out is it verbal communications is it by policy or is it a blend of the things we just talked about which is and i'm gonna you said one thing earlier in the podcast that's really important Listening, not just to hear the words, but to hear the intent behind the words. What's their perspective? Why are they saying that? Why are they coming from that opinion? Or what, you know, what's causing them to take that opinion? That's so important. And I'm looking at your face, honestly, right now in this call, and you're looking intently. There's, you're looking to understand what I'm saying. To me, that's absolutely super important. Kind of share with me your thoughts there and how you've learned that over time. Gosh, there's a... <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I let me and I'll, let me address the culture thing first. Sure. Uh, um, culture is kind of this nebulous term, and I think a lot of times people see culture and they think of values on a wall. Um, and the reality is, uh, in almost every organization, there are several cultures. There's you know, the leadership culture, there's, if you're geographically dispersed, like I was at Foodline, every store had its own culture, every department had its own culture. Uh, I think this is going to be the same way. This, this thing that we call Zoom and how we communicate will kind of develop its own way of being. And interesting. And, and so uh, when people ask me to describe culture, um, and I'll talk about culture a lot, and they'll say, how can I get my arms around culture? And I, I basically say, there are two questions you can go around and asking groups of people, and you will learn what your culture is. The first is to ask the question, what matters most at this company? And when you start hearing people give you their responses, you're going to get some common threads. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I started Food Lion, I used to ask people that question. I was the head of OD. So what matters most at Food Lion? And eight out of 10 people would say, oh, shrink. Reducing waste. Wow. So when you think about the culture, this, this is what's important to this company. So I define culture as what's in people's mind about what matters most around here. That's, that's a really interesting response. That's pretty far deep into an operational side of a business is shrinkage. Oh, yeah. But if you think of messaging and if you think of a huge issue in the company and reducing mm -hmm. shrink goes right to the bottom line, you know, so it's, it's, it's what are people's, you know, what is the relationship in terms of what they're seeing as important 
by the leaders of the company. Uh, the, the second uh, is, and this one may be a little bit more difficult to get your arms around, is to go into a room and write on the wall, you know, or on the, yeah, the board, the way things really happen around here, and then put three dots. Mm. And just say, start telling me, you know, the way things that happen, the, the way things happen around here is when sales go down, they send us home. <laughs> sure. Uh, the way things happen around here, when business goes bad, we let people go. I mean, so um, I kind of say that in the context of, if you think about culture and how this will impact us, it comes down to your messaging, it comes down to your policies, how you interpret those policies, how you treat uh, people, whether it's your customer, your employees, and those moments of truth when you're really challenged as a business, uh, and not so much this. Um, and you, you asked something at the end, what, and maybe I- yeah, You nailed it. I was, okay. as you were describing how the employees of Food Lion responded to your question, which by the way, is unique. If eight out of 10 people had the same answer, that's rare Yeah. in any company. If you were to ask employees at Chick-fil-A that same question, I wonder what the answers would be. Both those questions. I'll leave it with that because that's a... Uh, yeah. No, I, and I, I think that whether you're Chick-fil-A or any company, uh, it, it's a fun exercise to do. And you don't have to, once again, I'll put myself out of business. You don't have to hire someone like me to come in and do it for you. Well, uh, I was just going to say, if you want more information, hit me on the website or uh, comment on the video and I'll connect you with Bob. Because uh, I, I, by the way, Bob, I've learned some things. Uh, and uh, it, it's, like you said, we take it for granted. Uh, we can train ourselves how to write software. We can train ourselves how to build a better widget. We can train ourselves to do all sorts of things, how to, how to sell better. There's all sorts of sales training classes. But investing in leadership training and management training is often overlooked, and it's so important. Remember, people don't leave the company, they leave their manager. No doubt. And it's a shame, right? It's a shame because you can have an often great culture and one person can poison the well for a lot of different people. So I, I, I'm going to take a lot away from this, Bob. I know our, our, our listeners will, and I, I'm grateful for the time. I look forward to getting you back on the program and seeing where we are, you know, hopefully post COVID and, uh, and then we'll see each other back at, uh, at our volunteer organization. I'm looking forward to that as well. So any, any parting shots? Uh, I can't wait for both of those. I, I'd love to come back because we could take literally a lot of things that we've talked about and talk a whole podcast about it. So look forward well, to it. Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate the time. Okay, we'll see you. Talk to you soon. And that is, uh, folks, another episode of the Eating Crow podcast and our guest, Bob Stapleton. Thanks, and uh, tune in for more episodes. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.